So what flavor of tea are you drinking today, Mega? Uh, I'm drinking lemon and ginger tea, mainly because that's all I have left in my house right now. I've been packing everything I own for the last few days uh, to move up to Berkeley soon. And um, my parents aren't as big tea drinkers as I am. So they kind of gave me their blessing to just pack up all the tea I wanted uh, and, you know, ship all of it to Berkeley. So um, this is all I have left for the next couple days. Yeah. I love how it's like tea is a blessing. That's that's really exciting. Uh, the fact that we're both moving up actually for our viewers or listeners. Well, you're flying across the country. Oh yeah, exactly. But my flavor of tea, uh, you can't see it, but it's a cup of decaffeinated black tea. And the reason why I'm going with decaf today is because it's the start of 2021, baby. <laughs> we don't need that caffeine. We got all that energy already. Oh god, you're gonna regret saying that in a few weeks. I feel like everyone starts strong and then by the end of January we're just like back to caffeinated. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. Um, that being said, I just tried something very interesting today. I- I'm a little late to this trend, but uh, right before we started recording this episode, Sarah and I actually hopped onto Pudding's Spotify AI bot, the one that, you know, has been uh popularized recently because it roasts everyone's music taste um and my results weren't that great (laughs) i'm actually kind of hurt by what it had to say about my music taste but it's not that far off um apparently mine is arianator bad smoking your grandma's weed bad sexy social anxiety r&b bad hot nerd fall bad and I guess because I wouldn't stop listening to Justin Bieber's old Christmas album, Belieber Bad. So, um, yeah, really, really thankful to know that I'm a Swifty fangirl glow stick, please read my manuscript um, type of person, you know? That was single-handedly the most iconic line. And that is probably the best way to describe you, too. Just, you know, your Swifty obsession. Oh, no. Don't don't do me dirty. This is it's too early in this year for that. <laughs> what was yeah. what was your um what was your result from the from the AI bot? What did the AI bot have to say about your music taste? I don't have the screenshot with me right now, so I don't remember it off the top of my head. Very convenient. <laughs> Very convenient. Yeah. Uh luckily I don't have it on the top of my head. <laughs> um but uh, I can't act like I'm perfect or anything because I did get the rating that my music was awful. So, I mean, I already knew that, but to see a computer tell you that and an AI to spit that at you, it feels like something else hits different, to say the least. It really does hit different, especially since I, some of the music that it brought up, because it was like showing you album covers too, right? Some of the music that it brought up was stuff that I listened to back in 2016, and I was a high school freshman at that point. So you can imagine <laughs> what I was listening to. And oh god. <laughs> it was it was not a pretty sight. <laughs> I can only imagine. And it's it's really interesting, right? Because what we're talking about is AI and and it just goes to show that the data points that your AI and your algorithms are using really does determine how statistically correct or likely the outcomes are going to be true from these models. Right, this isn't a Spotify wrapped. This is rather taking an amalgamation of all the music you've ever listened to, which is a large, large, large data set and powering AI. 
which mm. most AI systems actually require. But yeah, thanks, Sarah, for the perfect segue. Of course, mm. our topic for this episode is an introduction to AI. And thankfully, you won't just have to listen to us, two college students, talking about AI like we know everything there is to know, because we also brought an expert, Dr. Tanya Mishra, um, who is CEO and founder of SureStart, an AI training company that we're going to be talking more about towards the end of this episode, uh, and is also the lead speech scientist and director of AI research at Affectiva. But that being said, Sarah, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience how you know uh, Dr. Tanya Mishra? So really exciting opportunity and so glad that we brought up SureStart because this past summer I was actually part of Affectiva's Empath program, which stands for Emotion Machine Pathway. And essentially it's a hands-on couple months training program where you really start to learn the fundamentals of what it means to like develop AI, whether that's programming whether that's actually marketing and working together with other teams and project managers. And so over this summer, uh, I probably talked about this multiple times on this podcast just because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. But my team and I worked on a a Zoom integration, which did utilize some AI models that we had to train ourselves to actually detect how bored, confused, or sad you are on a Zoom call. And so it was really through working together really closely and hands-on with these projects with Tanya that I was able to learn about not only her sheer technical talent in the field, but just how passionate she is. And you guys are going to be able to hear that in these audio recordings we have of her. Yeah, I think it's really really tangible. And part of the reason is because she has been working in this industry uh, for as long as both of us have been alive, actually. (laughs) So her career spans, you know, decades of, of work and advancements within artificial intelligence. And uh, I think it was really important to bring someone like her in because artificial intelligence has progressed so much since the early 2000s. And it's funny because I feel like there is still, even though like these AI bots that, that tell you how bad your music tastes are exist, there is still a discrepancy between uh, what AI has become how ubiquitous it is, and what people believe it's actually used for. Now, personally, I think I really noticed for the first time explicitly that there was a discrepancy uh, between reality and belief uh, back in December. It was uh, it was dead week before finals. Um, my friend and I were studying on a Zoom call and having a conversation, as one does, very naturally, about machine learning and artificial intelligence. And uh, she's a really close friend that I've made this past semester who also goes to Berkeley, but she's an econ major. So she had some questions about AI and she kind of said, you know, I keep hearing about this. It's a buzzword in Silicon Valley. Everyone seems to throw it around, but I don't actually see it being used anywhere. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, I feel like it's really restricted to backend uses in very obscure applications or like B2B uh, you know, scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel like it's something that's in the hands of the consumers yet. So at that point, I kind of was like, I just, I, I realized for the first time that people don't know that AI is literally everywhere. I mean, what is Siri? That is powered by AI. Cortana is powered by AI. 
our search engines are optimized using AI, our email filters, which we'll be discussing in uh, an upcoming episode next week, is also powered by AI. I mean, what isn't powered by AI at this point in our lives? I mean, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. And there's actually this one stat. Um, this is from SNP. It's a company that works to create more private AI data sets. And they actually say that 85% of customer interactions are currently managed by an artificial intelligent agent in 2020 alone. That's, that's almost 100% of customer interactions. And customer interactions are one of the most human-facing, consumer-facing part of business and everyday real life. Oh yeah, for sure. 85%. Wow, I did not know that. But, you know, I think hearing that number, it it does make a lot of sense. Because as you guys are going to learn more about this subject, and we're going to do deep dives with people who work in cybersecurity, people who work in theft prevention, people who work in marketing and advertisement, consumer-facing industries, and even people who create games that are powered by AI. This is literally everywhere. It's inescapable. You use it on a daily basis, almost every second of your day, without even realizing it. And I think that is what makes it so incredibly powerful and intriguing. Like, it just so naturally blends with our lives on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. I think Tanya also had some great insight about that as well. Learning or finding entertainment and enjoyment with the use of technology has become very, um, you know, almost an everyday part of our modern lives. And it is that acceptance that is now making us as people feel like, okay, you know, we are, our intentions are being quite well understood by these, you know, by these smart systems all around us that have huge cognitive or even autonomous abilities. So we just heard from Tanya speaking more about some of the use cases as well as some of the technical components behind AI and fueling this entire movement that seems to be behind everything today in the 21st century. But that kind of begs the question, what exactly is AI from a, you know, from an everyday language point of view? Um, And so the way I think about it is that AI fundamentally is just technology that allows us to simulate any intellectual task. So that's pretty broad, um, but it's also niche enough to say that AI is more focused on the brain as opposed to just the machine part of technology. Right. I would agree with that definition. I would also add to make it more specific that AI is kind of like recreating a human brain, but in a machine, right? So there is hardware uh, such as sensors being used. um, And then there's also software components, which usually consist of layers of layers of uh, regressions and basically different classifications of the physical data Uh, or, you know, the data set that might be abstract that is being fed into the system. And every single layer just makes it into a simpler, simpler problem. And as that tiny problem uh, gets solved or that tiny piece of the puzzle is put together, the entire big picture begins to come together. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when we think of AI and specifically the challenges in this field, people think that where it's going and the biggest challenges are actually going to be with AI and more of the business applications. But actually, 
what we're beginning to notice is that it's actually becoming harder to use AI for more human things, such as recognizing your face. So I don't know about any of you, but I do use Google Photos, and that's basically a way for me to manage and store all of my photos to the, to the cloud. And so one really convenient way that AI is being used to power these interactions is by allowing you to actually see which one of the photos is your face, right? Because obviously you're going to upload it to a drive. You're going to want to be able to see, hey, is this me or is this someone else? And I want a really convenient way to sort through all of my photos. But how exactly do you teach a machine an algorithm to recognize your face, right? Because your face has so many different, you know, features to it, so many different curves, curvatures that eventually are, are picked up by these machine learning models. But that also kind of brings up the question, what is, I hear this question a lot, what exactly are the differences between deep learning and machine learning, if there are any? Yeah, so machine learning is a larger classification of AI, but deep learning is a smaller subset of it. And I think this would actually be a perfect opportunity to pass it back to what Tanya had to say uh, about the difference between machine learning and deep learning and why deep learning tends to be more precise. With, with the development of machine learning approaches, where, the, where through examples, the system can start to tease apart the patterns that apply for the data set that it is faced with. So I think machine learning is a big one. The second, I would say, you know, moving forward, deep learning, neural networks are huge because, you know, you actually need a lot of data points in order to be able to come up with reasonable patterns that are to a, to a fair degree, a machine's estimation is similar to a human's estimation, but you need a lot of data points to be able to do that. And uh, deep learning has now made it possible for um, you know, us to very, to sort of con for the system, for the statistical model to consume all of those, those, the data points and have enough degrees of freedom. And by degrees of freedom, you know, I mean like all of the many, many, you know, millions of trainable parameters that can really learn the different nuances of these emotion displays. So I would say that's, that's a big one. So as Tanya mentioned, there's a lot of statistics and actually probability involved in the development of AI. And that's because these algorithms are actually utilizing whatever data sets they have in a way that they can learn from them and then ultimately make a statistical judgment or conclusion that this is a 95% chance of being Sarah versus 90% chance being my sister, right? Someone who looks similar to me in features. So it's really interesting because one of the things about AI that we don't think about is that since it's technology, it can't really be flawed and it's perfect in nature. But something we're going to be finding throughout the series is that there are so many nuances and complexities to AI technology that have yet to be fully addressed. Right. And I think that is a really important point to make earlier on. AI, while it is fascinating and while it is used in so many different facets of our everyday life, it's far, far, far away from being perfect. Just as we don't understand the human brain, it's one of the most complex parts of our body, we don't fully understand what it takes to 
completely recreate a human brain, right? I mean, at Affectiva, uh, with you being an empath scholar, I mean, you know, you guys were working on human emotion and trying to capture that, which is such a complex thing. How do you even begin to capture human emotion? And then a question that you can ask kind of further down the line is, how do you replicate that emotion in an artificial intelligence system, right? Because there have been movies such as The Terminator um, that have shown you know, artificial intelligence systems that seem realistic, but in real life, it's been very, very hard. I think the closest thing was uh, the robot Sophia that went viral a few years ago, who seemed to have, she had like a human type interface. She looked uh, like she was a mannequin and she would speak, but people were still afraid of her because she made a joke, which is what humans do quite often, and said that, you know, robots were, were planning on like world domination or destruction, something like that. And of course she was just making a joke, but without the intonation that human jokes have, it seemed kind of empty and a lot of people took it seriously. So I think that's just a perfect example that we don't know how to perfectly encapsulate what a human is like. We're all on a journey to learn. And frankly, all of us are lab rats because you you said it yourself, 85% of consumer interactions are now powered by AI. So 85% of what we do every day is just, literally we're just beta testers for this technology that's still in its very beginning stages. You know, I feel like in addition to being the lab rats metaphorically for these algorithms to learn, we're also the scientists who are creating these algorithms, whether or not we're consciously aware of that. Because one of the biggest things in AI that's starting to, or finally beginning to get some discussion on, which I'm going to pass off to Tanya in a second to speak more about diversity and equity and the importance of AI, is that AI needs to learn how to become less biased. But the thing is, we can only ensure that that's happening if we as individuals and we as a society are creating systems of beliefs and cultures where things such as racial stereotypes aren't being directly ingrained into our algorithms, for example, right? So one example is that, you know, has existed for many decades now is the entire gender notion where if you're a female, you work in the home, right? So that's one classification that an algorithm could pick up on and we did see this in the instance with Amazon's hiring algorithm, uh, where it did not recruit any females from its applicant pool, which is very surprising, especially coming from a company like as big as, as Amazon itself. And then on the flip side, it's categorizing things such as men being strictly computer programmers. That's another possible algorithm deficiency in that regard. Right. There's so many places where it can go wrong. And uh, I think I think Tanya has done something really great in that she is one of the, the, the not only a leader in AI, but also a leader in diversity and inclusion within AI and tech uh, as a whole. You know, she says something really important uh, right here in, in, in our interview. Um, and I think you guys should take a listen to it. It is incumbent upon us to involve everyone in this conversation so that we share ideas, but more importantly, we open questions are asked around responsibility, around ethics, and, and on fair and responsible usage of these technologies. 
So who better to hear from than Tanya herself, who recently won the 2020 Woman Tech Mentor of the Year Award. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's the reason she won this is because she has been such a great mentor and she is really pushing to bring in diversity into the tech field and uh, eliminate this entire notion of, of minorities being left out um, from conversations about consumer tech. Because when we have a diverse group of people being innovators, we also have more diverse innovation itself. Tanya has put all these beliefs to work, though, um, and has been building this program called SureStart, which is an AI training program specifically created for undergrads and high school seniors. This AI training program is truly unlike anything else. So I can speak from firsthand experience having been in this two-part program. The first part is actually you learning all the fundamentals. So you're getting self-paced learning and a graduate student who's going to help to mentor you, including Tanya herself. And they're going to be walking you through what it's like to really understand the programming fundamentals and how to actually train models themselves. In phase two, you're going to be actually entering a makeathon where you're going to be developing your own product and then eventually pitching it to judges for a chance to win cool prizes and even cash prizes. So we definitely recommend you applying for SureStart's Spring 2021 AI training program if you're either a high school senior or a current undergraduate student in college. And the last day to apply is January 15th. From the release of this episode, that gives you guys exactly 10 days to apply. This is an entirely free resource. So please, please make good of this offer and uh, go ahead and submit your application. I mean, you never know what can happen and how this can change your life. But with that being said, I think it's really important to address what drives Tanya to do the work that she does. She's seen firsthand as a woman of color uh, in this industry long before there was anyone else who looked like her in it, that oftentimes artificial intelligence and tech largely is not very accepting of diverse perspectives. But more than that, she has also experienced some obstacles in her personal life that inspire her to innovate more inclusively. The excitement is awesome, of course. Like, I mean, the technologies that I have had the opportunity to build or have seen other people build where, you know, Emotion AI is used to help children on the autism spectrum be able to communicate better with the world. I have a child who has autism and he has used those glasses that are enabled with, um, you know, Emotion AI. And he is learning how to understand people's emotions. I mean, that's such a win. It's such a positive use, right? It's uses like that, that tells me that Emotion AI, you know, can make huge positive changes in our world. But again, as I said, as I've been saying throughout, the drumbeat is the, you know, the positive uses do not mean that there can't be some malicious uses. And we always need to be sort of aware of the possibility of that so that we can guard against it. Wow, that was super inspiring because I actually do have a younger brother and he does, he is on the autism spectrum as well. So to be able to really empathize with these technologies, even something as seemingly abstract as AI that uses thousands, millions of data points, 
to better help human beings interact in our day-to-day lives is just something that's really inspiring for me and I'm excited to see how these technologies are going to be proliferated in the future. Right. So once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Tanya Mishra for joining us in this episode. Uh, Her insight was much appreciated. If you guys resonated with anything that she said in this episode uh, or learned something new from our conversation about artificial intelligence on a very high level, go ahead and tweet at us. We're at Technology One on Twitter. Uh, follow us on Facebook. We have a very new Facebook page. It's at technology.podcast. Same handle on Instagram as well. And go find us on LinkedIn too and give us a like. But with that, we're going to wrap up the first episode of 2021. Thank you so much for joining us, Technology Team. So much love, and we look forward to the rest of this year.